Welcome to the podcast of The Urban Mystic. This is season two where we meet with fellow deconstructors, fellow journeymen and journeywomen to hear the story of their first experience of God, calling to ministry, deconstruction and present journey. Our guest for this episode is Julie McVeigh. Julie is someone that I, I recently reconnected with on, on, on Facebook. We, we kind of bumped into each other posting on other people's posts uh, and made a connection from there. And, uh, and then I, I got a friend invite from, from Julie and I just, I just had this real sense that there was, there was a thread to tug on here. And, uh, and I looked Julie up and she's an author and a fellow deconstructor. And so I took the plunge to, to connect with her and see if, uh, if we could get a part for an episode. And I was so pleasantly surprised by this whole conversation. I think, I think we just hit a, we hit a real depth of, of, of vulnerability in this conversation. And, and this is where I love conversations to go, but, but I was blown away by this and Julie's willingness to engage at such a deep level on a, on a podcast. I, I think there's, there's just so many layers in this conversation that, that, that I'm, I'm still left with. I, I, I just came away from just thoroughly appreciating the conversation with her and the connection with her. And what was really great is, you know, if memory serves well enough, there was a kind of a wonderful dance between the three of us in that she actually led us into quite a few of these areas, uh, almost unbidden and just and just took us through these seasons of her life and some really deeply painful happenings. And I remember at some point in our recording, just thinking, you know, this makes such a powerful statement that often institutionalized religion is trying to depersonalize people. And she puts such a wonderful personal face to the stories of those who are deconstructing. It was so incredibly powerful. And there's an energy to her as well, I think, that people will find incredibly powerful and persuasive as she speaks for herself and her story. I'm one of those rock solid men that, that eat concrete pills for breakfast, right? <laughs> but but in, in, in editing this as a podcast, I actually, I actually shed, I, I had to stop and shed a tear. It, it really just hit me quite personally, quite deeply, just, uh, you know, Julie's story through this, you know, I think, I, I think, there's there's a lot in deconstruction that tends to get people vilified and ostracized but to to get the human feel for for that and and to get the sense of 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 someone who's gone on not only to deconstruct her own journey but to play such a valuable role in 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 other people's lives and their journeys this is this is just one of those outstanding gems that i that, that i'm really looking forward to sharing the conversation with all our listeners but I'm also just really looking forward to connecting with again in future. Mm, I was going to echo that and say just yet another of our guests I would love to see back over the next six months to a year and then again repeat that pattern to see how their journey plays out. So I, yeah, it's a, it's a wonderful privilege for us and, and I, I love that we can extend that to you, our listeners, to be kind of, it feels as though you'll be welcomed into Julie's sitting room and you're going to come and sit down over a cup of coffee and she's going to share with you personally her life story. And I'm just so grateful to her for doing that with us so that we can in turn share that with you, our listeners. Yeah, I, I mean, although <laughs> although Julie was the guest on our show, I felt I just felt such a warm hospitality from her side. <laughs> yes. And I I'm I'm I, you know, I, I would highly recommend any of our listeners that 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 really connects with her story and resonates with her story to 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 buzz her and connect with her online. 
Well, I'm looking forward to getting a little more into your story. Thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. I mean, it's, it's um, humbling and it's, I appreciate it. Julia, it is really nice to, to have you. I, I said to someone earlier this week that there was a point where I realized that, that all the contributors that we were having for season two are male. <laughs> and that's, and that at that point, it really was a question of there really needs to be a female voice or two, at least on here. And then serendipitously, you and I connected on Facebook and it, it kind of fell together after that. So again, thank you for taking the risk of, uh, of friending me, a, a random stranger over the internet on Facebook. This is a bit like Uber for theology in some ways, I guess. It is. You know, somewhere in the back of your story is the story of your first experience with God. I'm very keen to know what that, what that experience was or what that process was, that, that when you look back, you go, here's the first real identifiable encounter or process that I had, and that led me to understand that God is real. Wow, that is such a good question. So not the, I, it kind of reminds me of the question after I became a question, uh, Christian many, many years later. Um, they would say, oh, when was your, when did you first, you know, invite Jesus into your heart when were you first baptized? When did we first, you know, um, baptize in the Holy Spirit and all of that. Uh, but this is totally different. And I, and I, and I don't really have a specific memory or date, but I just remember, let's see, I want to say I was five years old, maybe <laughs> one of my, some of my earliest memories are of, I know this sounds crazy, but contemplating God, even though, uh, I, as I shared, we, I didn't grow up in a particularly religious or spiritual home. It was quite a dysfunctional home actually, but I found, and I was adopted too, but, but I had three, uh, two older adopted siblings and a younger sibling that was natural born but um I I always felt a little different a little like I didn't kind of belong that might have of course had something to do with being adopted it, it, it might have. <laughs> but I also felt different because I felt like I was this kid that was always wanting to have conversations about God my siblings did not I had one friend that I actually did meet in kindergarten. <laughs> she lived down the street from me. And from a very early age, I started <laughs> having conversations with her and she would humor me. And, but yeah, my, my earliest um, ponderings were very, very young. And I guess I would say there was nothing miraculous or anything that happened in particular, but I felt I was experiencing of the presence of a, a beautiful, it felt like a beautiful reality, a presence that was more real than what I was experiencing in my home life, my, my little home life that I had. And mm -hmm. I kept wanting to tap into that, but I didn't really know how. I mean, I did know the concept of prayer because we did have prayer at dinner time, basic prayer and a basic bedtime prayer. So I kind of had a concept that there was a God, uh, didn't really know much about this God, but I felt like I was meant to have a relationship or communicate with this God from a very early age. 
so I guess that would be my earliest like experience is just the feeling of the presence. Oh, that's awesome. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I love hearing the real story that people have. And in many ways, when people become Christian, they often put that as their story, but they, but when you dig past that, so many people have stories like the one that you've just told. There's another experience, one before they clearly identified it or before they clearly joined some you know, Christian or other religious group that's got their understanding and process. It's the kind of experiences I really want to dig in a bit more just in time with people because I realized that for a lot of people who add faith on top of that, they don't necessarily grow that relationship with, with God by adding faith or joining a religion. And in many ways, uh, part of the deconstruction for a lot of people is to, is to go back to that kind of raw primal experience and, and for them to, to recognize that that's what they're looking for and that's what they want to build onto. And a lot of the deconstruction that I do with people is just around that, of, of helping recapture that sense of that. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I was nodding as you were speaking the whole time in full agreement. And, had, and I, I felt like because I had this sort of innate connection for whatever reason, I didn't particularly see in my siblings. And actually my brother did grow up atheist and my older sister is agnostic. And my younger one is, um, she's a full blown, I guess you might call full blown uh, fundamentalist Christian still. Very, very different for all of us. But even, even past that point, as I grew up, I felt like I did have experiences with this other realm or this divine realm. I didn't really call it that then, but um, I guess that's what I would say it now. I did have prayers answered, for example, in certain moments of my life as a child, as a kid, teenager, you know, lots of experiences. I feel like most of us, or all of us do, maybe not all of us recognize it. For me, I would attribute it to God because that's just where I was. I mean, some other people might attribute it to something else, you know, depending on how they are perceiving or see things. And Julie, these, um, these experiences, if I heard you correctly, were coming sort of within a family that wasn't sort of actively pursuing going to church or pursuing these experiences themselves? Oh, no, not at all. Now, my, my mother grew up Catholic, and she, she didn't really talk much about her, her religion. Here and there, I mean, we knew a little bit. My dad would go to church. I remember him going to the Presbyterian church. Occasionally they would bring us to their churches, but no, it really wasn't something that was talked about. The miraculous was not talked about. The Bible wasn't really talked about. Like I said, there was a little bit of prayer, but yeah, no, that wasn't part of our, our family. Our family was quite dysfunctional or the parent, our parents were, it was really, you know, one of those situations that, the, the, um, my mom had some mental um, struggles, bipolar, multiple personality disorder, some serious challenges. And my father was a, um, a lawyer and would be cut away, gone all the time because he worked in the city and he was trying to develop his career. career. Mm. So not, you know, very uninvolved on the weekends with, with the kids, very withdrawn quiet and passive. I was really thirsty, I would say, as a kid for more uh, depth in relationships. Like I said, though, I did have that one friend of mine. It's still a friend today. 
thankfully, I feel like, honestly, we've both said this to one another, that I feel like that was a God-given, you know, meeting for the two of us to have one another, to grow up together. Even that alone I see as a, a inter divine invention, honestly. Was there ever a sense of a, sort of a, a lonely experience, sort of within the family being the only one experiencing these sort of things? Or did the experiences uh, sort of make up for that in a way? What was it like in terms of that part of the journey? Uh, yeah, I would say it was a lonely experience and feeling uh, different. And kind of have always felt that way throughout my life, a little bit different. <laughs> and a little bit lonely hmm. because of it. Because... Um, most people aren't like you guys, you know, I, or in my experiences, in my little box that I live in, in my life, I haven't met. Well, when, when social media came out, that of course changed a lot. I started all kinds of interesting people. It's like, Oh, thank God. <laughs> There's people like me out there, you know, there's a phenomenal quote from the psychiatrist Jung that I'll look up at some point, if I can remember it around that idea of isolation and loneliness where he, he digs into that really beautifully. But uh, that resonates with me as well, as you share that, that sense of a little bit different. Uh, and so in that, there's some isolation in some ways. If we fast forward a bit, there's a journey into church and a journey into the notion of going into ministry, at least in terms of service, if not professionally. What, what was that journey for you? And how did you, you know, how did that process unfold? I guess I should say, okay, so when I was 16, I moved, I, I moved out of my parents' house. My parents divorced when I was 14. I moved out when I was 16. I moved in with this, my girlfriend's girlfriend and her family. And from there, I met a friend of theirs who went to church and she went to a charismatic church. And I'm not sure if you're all familiar with that, but it's more of, um, definitely it's not, it's the kind of fundamentalist church is a little more stayed, <laughs> less expressive. Less expressive. Oh, that's good. Yeah. So this was a very expressive church, but she, she and I connected on a friend level. She shared, this is the first time I actually heard the gospel of Christ, the gospel of Christ, which was, she shared it with me that, you know, Jesus came and, and died for our sins. And so we don't have to go to hell basically in a nutshell. <laughs> um, and this is the, actually the first time I really understood oh okay this is what the jesus is about this is what he did and came to do and it touched my heart quite a bit i thought it was uh, a beautiful unconditional love of this shown through this god at that time i did not and for years later i did not uh know that many the church i ended up going to in many churches teach that jesus actually is god jesus is god in the flesh but i didn't know that at that time, it just came across that, okay, he's the son of God. Didn't quite know what that meant, but I didn't care because I just thought this is a beautiful human, you know, because of his love for God and others that he wanted to give his life. And I just fell in love with this story, this gospel of Christ. So I started going to her church. It was a bit of a shock for me because I was not familiar with charismatic churches. So they were all speaking in tongues. And there was a lot of, you know, come up to the, the, the front and get, you know, your, your healing and people were passing out and after they're getting their, their healing from the pastor. And it was all a little bit um, overwhelming for me. And 
met some some people, very nice people there, and the the gist was that I had to learn to speak in tongues to really be saved. Which I thought, wait a minute, okay, I thought this was an unconditional thing, but okay, I really want this this Jesus. So I, how do you you know how do you speak in tongues? What do you do? How do you do it? <laughs> And so I couldn't do it. So they ended up taking me to a retreat, a beautiful retreat where we would pray and, it was, you know, the scenery was beautiful and it was peaceful and we would talk about Jesus. And during prayer time, they would say, look, you just need to kind of, it's almost like humming. I'm a singer and I, I would hum and make up songs since childhood. So I thought, oh, I, I know how to hum, hmm. and I know how to sing gibberish, if you will, because that's hmm. kind of making up a tune. So I just kind of started doing that during prayer time, and they were so excited that I was finally, you know, baptized in the Holy Spirit and saved. So that became, I just could not connect, even though that was a, it was lovely, lovely people. I just couldn't, um, that all didn't resonate with me, so I left that church. And I was 16, and I didn't go back to church till I was 30. <laughs> so. Wow, that's quite a gap in between. I, I, I remember years ago, I, I also got into, into charismatic church when, when I was young, and they did a similar thing with me, except I'd, I'd already had dreams about the future. And I was really keen to see people healed. So I said, this tongue thing just sounds like a bunch of gibberish for me. I'm really not interested. I want to see, I want to see healing. And I want more of these dreams about the future. And the response was literally to go, oh, that's weird. We don't know about any of that kind of stuff. Like, wow. Which, which I'm kind of going, um, did, did you actually read this book? <laughs> you know, that you, you made ring on tongues, you know, the, the, the notion of dreams of the future. and right you know, like, like actually healing the sick is it, it's right there in the text. And that's the stuff that grabs me. I similarly ended up leaving and just going, this is a bunch of nonsense. Like these guys are just so frustrating. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So, yeah. So then, then um, when I was pregnant with my first child, that's when, and I, and I, as I shared before, I grew, uh, the town I, we lived in was a conservative town, a church on every corner. Um, there wasn't a lot but I, I'll backtrack a little bit. Growing up uh, through the years and even into my teens, I was fascinated with new age, interested in crystals and mediums and psychic powers. That kind of stuff really fascinated me. But when I when I um, got, you know, I was married and started, we started a family and we thought, okay, we need to raise our kids in church. That's what you do when you have children. So we found the church and it was a fundamental denomination, just an evangelical church, but biblical literalist. So all of my fascination, whatever, even though I hadn't really been involved in that a whole lot through my twenties, sort of gave it up and, you know, went to call all of the spirituality, I guess. I never gave up prayer and have that connection and that presence, but I didn't really dive into any kind of spirituality through my twenties. I was too busy work trying to make a living and going to college and mm. developing my relationship with my husband that became a, the man that became my husband. And then we started a family. And of course the church is no, 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 no crystals, no new age, no mediums, no psychic abilities. No, no, no. As a matter of fact, I became friends with a woman at the church who 
privately shared with me that she did have a psychic ability. She had the ability to know things about a person and she would come into contact with them. So for example, she might see a, a, you know, a, a friend, an acquaintance go up, hey, how are you? Oh, you have a, oh my gosh, you're gonna ask so-and-so to marry you. You have an engagement ring in your pocket, don't you? And he'd be like, well, yes, I do. How did you know that? Um, she would do that once in a while and kind of freak people out. So she tried to keep it a little bit on the down low. Eventually she shared it with the pastor and he said, that's probably a demonic thing and you need to, you need to stop that. So she was, of course, <laughs> uh, felt like. Said, what a legitimate response. My goodness. <laughs> yes. And, and, and she had seen too, um, so she was so she was kind of confused and wasn't sure about her own, which she had just grown up as knowing being a part of her. She had also seen her dead brother at one point, I think it was two times, and her dead grandmother. Be, through the church church's teaching, it came to be taught that well, those that's probably just demons trying to trick you, you know. When and it was so confusing for her because, for her, it was a beautiful experience and it brought closure for her in the loss of these, loved, these two loved ones of hers. It was, these were beautiful things. Even her gift was to, in many times, she would help others through this gift. So, yeah, unfortunately, the church was very much against those kinds of things. So I had to kind of give that up. And so, but I got involved in the church through, uh, as I said, I'm, I'm a singer. So I immediately got into the worship band. And, you know, over time, I spent, we were there about, 15 to 18 years, I guess. So I was on the worship band on and off through, throughout our experience there, leading worship, doing women's ministries, involved in the marriage ministries, eventually got into, of course, many Bible studies and leading, leading Bible studies, of course, only women's Bible studies, because in our church, you know, women cannot lead men. So yeah, we were, both my husband and I were quite involved, made a lot of dear friendships, they became our family. They became our family. As a matter of fact, the, the pastor and his wife, we were so close with them. We would hang out with them every weekend. It was some of the best times of my, this, this was through my 30s, raising my kids and being involved in this church community and reading scripture. I love scripture. The, the um, church we went to eventually developed a um, college on campus. And I took classes there. I was just, I love theology. I, I create, eventually social media came out and at some point in, and eventually Facebook came out and I started a Bible group online and I kind of created a name for myself in a sense of the church. Well, one time in, in a, during a service, my husband and I are sitting there and the pastor is giving a sermon and uh, a very charismatic uh, uh, leader, pa uh, speaker. This is a very, this is a well-known pastor that's known he's he's kind of a famous person now but anyway i don't know that i want to i don't know that i want to share who it is but and then so one time we're you know he's at, he's doing his sermon and he says oh and he gets on sort of a complex biblical concept and he says you know what here just later ask julie and he points me out just ask julie later just you know she'll be i'm sure she knows the answers to this or that <laughs> you know but people would call me like julie where is it what does it say in the Bible about X, Y, Z, you know? So I, I really, I really liked it. I enjoyed it. And I felt, I felt needed 
and wanted and and like I could help people. So it was it was it was a good time until it wasn't. How, how did you feel about that 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 box of you can teach you can do this stuff as long as you're not leading Ben? <clears throat> that was a little frustrating because I thought. <laughs> is that is is that an understatement? Like I said, I was thirty when I got involved, and I and we were really good friends with the pastor. And I just sort of thought to myself, okay, if this is what the Bible says, then this is what the Bible says. And I trusted the pastor, and I thought the Bible was the literal word of God, and and took it in a literal view as well. And I thought, okay, I just, I'm going to have to be okay with that. I don't get it because I could have conversations in private and with men and that was perfectly fine. And there were great conversations, but if, if there were too many men there and then I was sort of taking a lead, then that became a teaching situation. Then that was like, no, 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 you can't do that. And I remember at one point, my husband and I went to this Bible study. It was a Beth Moore uh, driven Bible study and uh, the 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 two the husband and wife that were leading that the word got out and they were reprimanded for having men husbands at this Beth Moore. It was a marriage Bible study, but they got in trouble. Okay. Wow, was that one of the things that that triggered uh, a bit of a deconstruction for you? Oh, that was in the yes that that was one of the little things. There are a lot of those kinds of little things trickling in. It was in the back of my mind. Yeah. Uh, to be honest, the, um, you know, submit to your husband kind of mentality, the husband is the head of the household and you need to be quiet mentality was challenging. And there, you know, I went, I ended up going to a Bible study. It's called Excellent Wife and the uh, pastor's wife was leading it. And um, some things in there that she said, it was a little disturbing, you know, kind of like, you know, if you're not in the mood too bad, you need to do what your husband wants kind of a thing. And some of that was like, I, I'm, it's not resonating with me. Isn't this supposed to be a mutual thing <laughs> between husband and wife? Mutual respect, mutual understanding and sharing, and not just one submitting to the other um, just blindly. So yeah, that kind of thing was, threw me off. I and then the other wives that would be, oh, yes, absolutely. And I'd be thinking, are they really? I, I wasn't sure. Are they really on board with this? And then, of course, later, a couple of people that, you know, women I would talk to, and they'd be like, no way. What is going on? That doesn't sound right. <laughs> like, oh, okay. I'm not the only one. <laughs> what are, what's going on here? So those, yeah, that was a little bit of a, something that... Um, was always in the back of my head, like a little off. And then one, and then a big thing that happened, but again, I was really sucked in. I, 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 I don't know if I would say brainwashed or drinking the Kool-Aid or whatever, but I was really buying into everything. And my sister and her husband started going to the church. The two of them started having marital problems, serious marital problems. So they started going to count church counseling. This is my younger sister, who's still still a, a fundamentalist Christian and remarried now. But she, with her first husband, they were going through marital problems. And let's just say he was he was in prison. He was in jail a, couple, a handful of times. She had to bail him out because of some of his 
some of the things he did with, that she didn't know about at first, but then of course when he ended up going to jail the first time, she had to she started finding out about his indiscretions. So they had some serious marital problems, and then when he she finally decided she had had enough and was going to divorce him, she was pushed out of the church because according to church doctrine, if the spouse does, is not unfaithful, um, or if you can't prove that the spouse was, spouse was unfaithful, then you are not allowed to divorce your spouse without being in sin. So the church considered my sister to be the one in sin because he decided to, you know, he said wanted forgiveness and he wanted to stay married, but he was continuing to sneak out and do his stuff. And then it was supposed to continue to keep forgiving him. And she just said, I can't do it anymore. I, I don't trust you with my heart. You, you keep breaking it. I don't, I, uh, this marriage isn't working. So she was pushed out of the church and he remained in the church and he actually stayed and got a job. He ended up with a job at the church. Wow. wow. Yeah. And I stayed and I stayed at the church. I was not, I was in, I stayed, you know, and, and can continue to be involved in the church because I really thought, okay, well, if this is what the Bible says, this really sucks. I don't like it. And I love my sister and I'm not happy. My heart was broken with what happened with her and her husband and she moved she moved on and ended up eventually going to another church one that was equally rigid and legalistic and literalist <laughs> unfortunately but, and then met her second husband and she's, she's great but yeah that that really broke my heart that was a huge piece of the uh, unraveling of what i thought got this whole religion was about wow you know, it's just listening to your story reminds me, you know, when, when, Julie, when you talk about kind of, you know, drinking the Kool-Aid, right? And, and some moments when I look back over some of my deconstruction, I remember moments as well of just going, what was wrong with me? Was I drunk? Oh, <laughs> was that, yeah. What, you know, how, how, did, how did I get that sucked that far in? And I remember sitting at a home group one evening and uh, the guy who ran the home group was having an argument with one of the other men in the home group. And eventually he stood up and leaned over the table at him. And he had one of those super impressive, you know, those big floppy Bibles with the leather binding, right? That you could really get a good waggle with. And he leant over the, he like he leant over the coffee table and shook this Bible at this guy in his face. And he said, do you believe this is the word of God? And the guy said, like very angrily, yes. And he said, and do you believe that this is Jesus in book wow. form? And the guy said, yes. And he said, so you're wrong. And he thumped the Bible down oh on the table. And I remember, much to my shame, sitting on the corner of the circle of that home group going, yeah, yeah, tell him, tell yeah, him, tell absolutely. him. Yep. And, and I, and I, want to, I want to revisit my younger self and slap him a number of times and go, how did you, how did you get to that point, you know? And then... And then, you know, these little moments that seem to come out. And I remember sitting with a, with a, a phenomenal old lady. She was an Anglican priest and she mentored me for a, while, for a while. And she was just phenomenal. She was telling me about some conference that she'd been to. And all the women were sent off on their side and all the men off onto their side into little small groups. And she said, uh, 
I just knew exactly what they sent us off to uh, sent us off to discuss together as women. It was that bitch from Proverbs thirty one, <laughs> <laughs> and that was one of those moments of catching myself being shocked, going, oh, "You can't say that about." Oh, okay, maybe you can. That's interesting. <laughs> I, I hear you in terms of your story, but but I interrupt. Please, please continue. Yeah, and that so that kind of story. Another one is is a similar one where. There was a young couple involved in, in ministry in the church. The husband was in youth ministry, and he apparently started having inappropriate interaction with some of the girls in the youth ministry. So they, so the couple started going to counseling. They were very, very close with the pastor and his wife. I mean, the, the woman, even when she was younger, lived with the pastor and his wife for a while, in their in their family, they have a big family. Sadly, this this man, the husband, um, over time, he she continued to catch him in his inappropriate texting and phone calls, and and a similar situation where she said, "I can't trust you anymore," and she chose to divorce him, and she was completely excommunicated from the church. Wow. Wow. There was even a time when she, there was a, I can't remember if it was a, cause I didn't go. She told me about it later, but it was a party. I think it was a baby shower or something. And she went to, and all of the, you know, women were there from church and the, someone from the, the party went to the hostess and said, you need to ask her to leave. And they did, they asked her to leave. And that's just one example. She, she experienced that many times throughout the process because they the church because the pastor had announced that we needed to shun her we needed to ostracize her so she would that's in scripture gosh i don't need you know they take matthew and corinthians and put them together corinthians or some such yeah yes yes and then the matthew was it they what they take is you need to go to your brother who sinned against you with one-on-one two-on-one and then if they don't listen to you then you the whole church needs to come, you know, to tell them. Again, I mean, I uh, for me, that's totally misapplied because that had to do with somebody actually sinning against a person. I did something against another person. This was a private matter between her, her and her husband. But anyway, yeah, um, yeah. they that yeah. that um, I had a lot of conf- conflicting feelings about that. I, so I reached out to her. We weren't that close. I knew her. But we weren't very close and I called her and I said, I don't understand why people are doing this to you. And I, I don't agree with it. And I actually ended up, um, a friend of mine uh, told me about a book, uh, Divorce and Remarriage. It helped me understand the historical context behind the divorce debates that were going on in Dave Jesus. And I realized that I started deconstructing that whole doctrine about divorce and remarriage. And if it's sin to get remarried and all of that, because that was taught in our church that if you don't, again, if you don't divorce, if you get a divorce for, for reasons other than, than unfaithfulness, which is not flirtation, not kissing, making out, not texting, not talking, it's intercourse. If they don't actually fall, if you can't prove that they, (laughs) that your spouse had intercourse with another person, you are not allowed to divorce them and not be in sin. So, um, so she was in sin for, according to the church for divorcing him. And then of course, when she remarried, that's an, oh no, that's part of the church 
doctrine. So when I, after I had read this, this, this book about the, you know, what that the divorce debates were really all about and um, deconstructed that doctrine, I actually gave that book to the pastor, but he never, I don't think he ever read it. He never said he even got the book. And I thought, don't they want to know if they are off on doctrine? Because we're talking about people's lives and relationships. So that was the next, one of the next big things Mm. that came along. So lots of doctrine started falling apart for me, as I said. I realized early in life that some people behave well, but uh, but there's incredibly dysfunctional drivers behind it. And other people behave badly as part of actually processing stuff and getting through it and end up being better people. And, and I always struggled with the, with the language of sin and the gospel of sin management within Christianity because it didn't seem to understand people and it didn't seem to want to get to know them. It just seemed to want to box them in particular ways like that. Those kind of stories are just tremendously frustrating. And they just, they just remind me of so many of the frustrating things I had to deal with where you're trying to actually talk to real people. And there's just this veneer of spirituality, this ridiculous legalism that doesn't enable people as a couple to actually process any of their stuff as individuals, let alone as couples. Man, so frustrating. It's just mm. heartbreaking, you know, what it does to the, the I mean, for this young woman, she was... Uh, it was really all of her family that the church was really her family for my sister. She wasn't that plugged in and and close to everyone. And this woman, it really broke her heart, really broke her heart. And as I just kept sort of studying and researching and seeing how the church sort of handled human relationships, it just started expanding and growing for me I mean, they, the church had sort of a habit of bringing sinners a handful of times. They would, they, in, during my time there, they bring a, a, a quote unquote sinner up or talk about the sinner and say, you know, we have to, we have to um, remove this person from ministry for this reason. They did this X, Y, Z for me sitting out there in a, in, in a thousand member congregation I felt like, is this really necessary to sort of, I feel like it's a form of gossiping about this person and this privately. So that bothered me. I didn't feel like, I mean, I knew the scriptures they were using to justify what they were doing, but I wasn't convinced that they were doing this properly. It just didn't seem like this was the best way for healing, for getting humans to deal with the whatever they were dealing with and for healing and to keep relationships intact and I don't know it just didn't make sense to me um and then of course um another big a big one I think it's a a major uh reason for deconstruction is eternal conscious torment the doctrine of hell that was a big thing that was talked about in our church I mean our pastor really made God look scary beautiful and amazing and also very scary and that and that made for me i really thought okay there's there's a hell that my loved ones are going to go to if they don't believe all the right things about god <laughs> i know that sounds crazy right now but in the mo and during that time i really thought oh my oh my i i have to i would i would cry my eyes out like it i'd be sleeping in bed i couldn't sleep sometimes because i would be worrying about my loved ones who 
didn't believe the same things I did. And I thought they might, if they died, they would go to hell and, and be tormented for eternal, for eternity. And what was taught in our church. And that was a doctrine that really bothered me. So of course I had to dig into that scripture once I realized I need to, if I'm going to be behind this and it was also tormenting me, I need to find out if this is what the Bible really says. And you know, and during all this time, I'm raising my kids, I'm homeschooling them on and off. Sometimes I had, I had a situation where I sometimes felt it necessary to homeschool my children. So I was, I was busy doing that. I mean, there was a time my husband had a had business together and, you know, I'm trying to live life, but also figure out these doctrines, which can take, it can be time consuming, but I did enjoy, like I said, I did enjoy theology and for this doctrine, eternal conscious torment. Um, I really had to figure that one out. So, but it didn't really take me that all that long to deconstruct that doctrine and realize, wait a minute, the Bible doesn't even, I came to the conclusion that the Bible didn't really support that at all. So I became, um, I guess you call it, I started to believe in annihil annihilationism, which is okay. At least God doesn't torture people for eternity. He just, annihilates them if they don't believe the right things. And I thought that was a much more merciful God. I would certainly think that that's a much more merciful option. Well, there's an end. Be done with this relationship and I give you life. So, you know, thanks for playing, but but no does. The, the notion of going, I'm, I'm going to barbecue you and I'm going to keep you alive while I do it is just, it's just a horrendous notion. Like... <laughs> It it just pales in comparison to anything anyone could literally do in the small span of life. And that includes the big figures like Hitler and Pol Pot. I mean, I think they they were spectacularly bad, but 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 even the notion of 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 barbecuing them consciously forever, I think any entity that can do that in mass has got to equal or exceed figures like that in history, just in my mind. A hundred percent. Yeah, so that was a doctrine that sort of fell apart for me that's not what got me kicked out of the church really or loss of friendships so I wasn't quite there yet but um but I but I did even start to feel like um even the doctrine of annihilationism wasn't working for me so I I know that that can um be uh supported from scripture much more easily than eternal conscious torment in my opinion but I still thought to myself as I was as I was you know uh, experiencing parenting as well that I feel like opened my heart up to be able to deconstruct also so there's a lot of things in the workings that kind of went into my deconstruction I thought to myself if either one of my sons would as a parent would I in, annihilate them if they didn't, you know, within their 80 years come to the right conclusions that I felt that they should come to? Is that really a good reason to annihilate my own child? And that's, that wasn't suiting with me either. So I kind of became what, you know, many call a hopeful universalist. <laughs>